Hi, Crosswalk. Oh, thank you. Hey, uh, Crosswalk kids, I'm really sorry that you have to listen to me today and not your really awesome teachers, but thanks for being in here. Um, if you didn't get your activity packs, they're over on the other side in the building. There's special treats for you. So thank you. Thanks, kids. Thanks, families, for understanding. And man, it's just good to be here with all of you, like in this room. Yeah, thank you. Worshiping and, and praising and, and enjoying like this music. Wasn't that beautiful? Just, yeah, 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 we should clap for them. They were very good. They were very good. I can't wait to hear them again tonight. I'm really excited about all the music. Man, Christmas music is, is my absolute favorite. I love Christmas music. I would start playing it in September if my husband let me. And um, he does not, so we, uh, we play it in November, and that is our compromise. So, that's, so it's beautiful to listen to it and, and, um, and praise God together, join our voices together. Folks, we're in, nearing the end of our service. Uh, our, our service, nope. Sorry, just kidding. At the end of our series. Uh, you're stuck with me. Our service is still going on. <laughs> We're near the end of our series. So we started out with Pastor Mike um, talking about the lineage of Jesus and, how, uh, and how, how the lineage brings and brought his presence to earth. Out of the, shoot there, uh, out of the stump, there was a shoot that grew. And um, John Ciccarelli brought the message a couple weeks ago um, furthering this, uh, this idea of uh, by reminding us to think about what we're thinking and to steep ourselves deeply in God so that he alone reigns in each of us. And it was such a beautiful message. And then last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Uriel preached about the king of the soft touch, the king that no one was expecting, but a kingdom that brought hope and justice. They're beautiful messages. So if you missed any of them, I highly recommend going on our website, going on our Crosswalk app, going on our YouTube channel, catching up on these Christmas stories. I know you might have some time traveling and some time with family coming up this week, so it's a good time to tune in. The telling of the Christmas story wouldn't, wouldn't be complete without the mention of Mary, right? The mother of Jesus. She's central to the whole entire conversation. But growing up, like in an Adventist church, I don't really remember an emphasis placed specifically on Mary, other than she was the mother of Jesus. Sure, she existed, um, but she was always like, you know, the silent woman in the play, Christmas play, and she just like kind of walked down the center aisle and ended up at the front and held a baby. Like, that was what she did. That's Mary, right? So every girl that I knew wanted to play like the angel or uh, maybe a shepherd, or the really rebellious ones were like, I gotta be a wise man. But like, none of the girls really wanted to be Mary. I know I didn't wanna be Mary. She just didn't do much. She just kinda showed up and, and stood there, like looking at baby Jesus, which now that I have a son, I totally get. Like, I just stare at him all the time. But like, you know, as a kid growing up, like, what? She doesn't do anything. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't, she, like, the wise men have the fun parts. They get the good costume. Like, none of this, like, robe. Like, they got crowns and stuff. And, and, like, at least if you're a sheep, you can dress up like a sheep. But Mary, she just sits there. She was far too quiet and far too obedient. 
and far too compliant to ever be a character that I ever resonated with. She was kind of like this. This slide. You'll see it in a second, it's fine. All right, there we go. So she was kind of like this, right? Sorry, sorry, Joelle. Um, yeah, so there's Mary, she just sat there. She's just hanging out, oh, right? And over here, the angel gets to do the cool thing, like fear not. <laughs> I, am, I, bring, I bring a good message from, from God. But, but Mary, I mean, she just, I mean, look at her. Like even in this painting by Leonardo da Vinci, like the angel is doing so much more and Mary's over here meek and mild and gentle and not doing anything at all. In fact, growing up Adventist, like out of this strong Protestant faith tradition, maybe, maybe it was just my family, maybe yours had some of this too. Um, my, my, my family, my dad's a pastor, my, and so occasionally people would drop gifts off at the house. And I remember one year, um, someone brought us this like beautiful table clock. I don't know, like the glass dome kind, and it had like the gold thing that spun. I, I don't know. Yeah, anyways. But it played Ave Maria, which is a beautiful song, right? You've heard it, you know it. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. Nope, not going to sing it. But it's a beautiful song. It's, it's, it's a lovely song. It's a lovely tune. And I remember specifically that my mom said, um, well, that's, that's a little too Catholic. So we don't have that clock anymore. Got rid of that. Right, that's a very strange thing, like just a little, like a little too Catholic. Like, what are we afraid of? Like, anyways. Uh, I will say, disclaimer, I was eight, so my recollection of that, uh, we had the clock and then we didn't, it played Ave Maria. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, not throwing you under the bus. It's fine. <sighs> anyways. So we don't talk about Mary very much, or at least we didn't in, a, in my family. So there was a lot about Mary that I didn't know. Um, and, and so I got to discover a lot uh, preparing for this sermon. There's some things I didn't know. And so I'm gonna share those with you today. I hope that's okay. Maybe you know them and that's great. Um, and, and maybe it'll be something enlightening for you as well. So Mary, uh, picture Mary living in Nazareth and at the time that Mary was alive, the time of Joseph, the time of baby Jesus, 2,000 years ago in the dusty streets of Jerusalem, and the, imagine that you are in a nation ruled by um, another country. They've come in and invaded and there's encampments of Roman soldiers that you pass by. Occasionally the Roman soldiers, soldiers walk through your town and they do reprehensible things or they might just be collecting, collecting exorbitant taxes, but they're quite a nuisance. They're quite oppressive and you're kind of tired of them. So the gospel storyteller Luke knew exactly the kind of Messiah that the people in this situation were looking for. So this idea of revolution kind of spread, these ideas spread from house to house and family to family and, and maybe village to village as these Roman encampments were everywhere and, 
and, and the Roman rule overshadowed everything. The Jews may have been robbed of their ideals, but they held tightly to this messianic hope. They cried out, lifting their hands to heaven, looking for a sign of hope or freedom from bondage, freedom from this oppression. And their hearts were stirred for relief and maybe even for revolution. They wanted freedom from this unfair taxation and cruel Roman rule, but no one was looking for a savior to save them from their sins. They were looking for freedom from oppression, from bondage, but not bondage from their own sins. But they would have been familiar with these words from Isaiah as they searched for hope. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7 talks about, um, talks about this hope. I can't, I still forgot my glasses. I can't read the back of the screen. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to read it from my dad. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who now walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people who rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. For you'll break the yoke of their slavery and lift up the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Can you imagine if you lived in oppression and you had this kind of hope? That the weight would be lifted, that the burdens would be taken away, that the oppressor's rod would be broken? If you lived under that kind of repression, what kind of hope would you have for that kind of savior? And so Isaiah continues, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he'll be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He'll rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Can you imagine the kind of hope that, that that text sparked and ignited? No wonder they were looking for a revolution. No wonder they were, no wonder they were looking for a, a king that would come, a messiah that would save them, a counselor, a, a prince of peace, the government of peace that would never end. If you lived in bondage, you lived under oppression, you would want that, you would hope for that, you would pray for that, and they did. So they waited and they wondered, when would this child when would this help arrive? The gospel storyteller Luke knows his audience so well and he plays into their ex expectation of this Messiah who will lead them into battle, a mighty hero. But as we know from our sermon last week, a bruised reed he would not crush, a smoldering stick he would not snuff out. He was a prince of peace. 
So the author Luke presents an alternative. It's Mary. I know what you're thinking. Mary the warrior, come on. She's the silent one in the Christmas play, meek and mild holds the child. Mary the warrior? She sings this amazing song of a heroine of Israel. She's blessed among women. And her song echoes the words of Hebrew scriptures. And I will tell you, I was like today years old when I realized the meaning of this song. Maybe you know it. Maybe you didn't grow up in like a little sheltered Adventist home. Maybe you have heard of the Magnificat. Maybe it's something that you're familiar with or even have memorized. I did not. I did not. So the story goes in Luke, uh, Luke's version of Mary. Uh, she hears from the angel. The angel says, you will carry the Savior, the Son of God. His name is Jesus, and he'll be Emmanuel, God with us. And at that, the Bible says, uh, the NLT uh, says she hurried. Um, but really, it was more like she fled. She escaped. And if you were a 13 or 14-year-old teenager not married and pregnant with the Son of God, you might want to flee? I don't know. Under Roman rule, that was grounds for stoning, for immediate death. And yet here she was saying yes to God, saying yes to this unknown, saying yes to something that would have killed her otherwise had God not been present. So she, flee, she flees to her cousin Elizabeth. And, and the story goes, you know, she, she meets Elizabeth and Elizabeth cries out, blessed are you among women and your child is blessed. And on hearing, on hearing your voice, the baby inside me jumped for joy. And we all know that's John, John the Baptist, that would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You are blessed because you believe the Lord and what he said, Mary said yes to the Lord. And Mary continues. This is the part that the, Mary, that the, the, the Bible calls Mary's song or some traditions call the Magnificat, which was news to me, maybe not to you. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. And up until this point, you think, yeah, okay, Mary, yeah, all generations will call you blessed. You're the father of Je mother of Jesus. Of course. But the tone, I think, shifts. Because then she goes on to say, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. That is not a lullaby she wrote for baby Jesus. Right? 
That's a song of revolution. And in all my long years growing up Adventist and being in the church and knowing the Christmas story from beginning to end and end to beginning, I never heard those verses emphasized. I heard Mary Did You Know emphasized a lot. I sing that song. But I didn't hear this song. How could this seemingly obedient 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, how could, she, how could she be this rebel intent on reorienting this unjust system around her? Doesn't sound like a meek and mild Mary. It sounds like a battle cry, a prophetic witness, one that celebrates Mary's unique role. Now, throughout history, we learn that the poor and oppressed people, they identify with this song, which is probably why I didn't know about it or resonate with it. Like, I'm not oppressed. Not really. Like, no. But the people who are oppressed can claim Mary's words. They claim her song as their own. Right? Oscar Romero was a priest and a martyr. He drew a comparison between Mary and the poor and powerless people in his own community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you're probably familiar with that name, he was a German pastor and a theologian who was executed by Nazis. He called this section of scripture, the Magnificat, Mary's song, the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. How could the most revolutionary hymn ever sung never show up on my radar in all of my life? Revolutionaries, the poor, the oppressed, they all loved Mary and they emphasized her glorious song. But the Magnificat has been viewed as dangerous by people in power. Some countries like um, India or Guatemala or Argentina have banned the Magnificat from being recited in liturgy or in public. Can you imagine banning a section of the Bible that was spoken by a weak, meek, mild little Mary because it might incite a revolution? Wow. So I did a Google search looking for this rebellious Mary. Maybe there was an image. There were many of the meek and mild. This is the only one I could find. Right? But the message is there, cast down the mighty, send the rich away, fill the hungry and lift the lowly. And the heel is crushing the head and crushing the serpent. The imagery is there, this is by uh, a man named Ben Wildflower and he grew up as a Christian as well, reading the Bible and, and never heard the song of Mary emphasized in church. And he said, she's a young woman singing a song about toppling rulers and their thrones. She's a radical who exists within the confines of this institutionalized religion. So he had to come up with his own artwork because none existed. So Mary said yes to participating in God's story. She's not just some passive tool for God's plan. She's not just overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and forgotten. She has an active role to play and her song becomes an enthusiastic yes or if you're an improv comedy, yes and. All 
generations will call me blessed. My soul exalts the Lord and Mary magnifies God. Like a magnifying glass, she magnifies and makes larger this mighty act of God in her life and what he's about to do in the nation. Through her eyes, we can see who God is and his life and his faithfulness. And it brings all of God's gracious intentions into sharper focus, into greater detail, so we can see better who God is. Mary urges all of us not to stop with praising. That's why we keep praising God. Well, not just because of that, but we do continue praising God with our songs. And she encourages us to continue and think, and, and, and I encourage you to continue and think about how our lives are magnifying God. When people look through the lens of our very own life, what do they see? Do they see God more clearly when they look at you? Because in order to magnify God with our life, we have to be clear ourselves. If our lenses, if ourselves are clouded with whatever is in the way, then any image of God we might portray would be lost. Magnifiers of God are called upon to be transparent with their lives. It's not easy to do, especially in Christmas season when everything is holly and jolly and the halls are all decked and there's tinsel everywhere and everyone is happy and joyous. In my work as a chaplain, I know this for fact. I hear stories about how hollow or empty this season actually is for so many people. How sad the season is, how hard it is to face the memories sometimes by yourself. And it's really hard to be joyful and, f and jolly and merry when you're sad. In the midst of a world that's at war with itself, it's really hard to fake our way through it. We're missing loved ones. There's an empty seat at the table this year. Christmas isn't the same. Why would we fake that it is? And if we're magnifiers of God's reality, then we're called to be transparent and real, even in our grief and in our sadness. In the face of all of this, we're called to be real. It's real to be sad, to be dismayed, but we have to tell the truth. And what better place to tell the truth than at church where we can be heard and not dismissed as raining on the parade? See, as magnifiers of God, we have to be transparent, but we also have to be aligned Otherwise, we might magnify the wrong things. Mary acknowledges that all is well, and she starts her song with the good that God has done in her life, and she quickly turns it into a song for the weak and for the poor, for the hungry, because every hurting son is now her son, and every hungry daughter is now her daughter, because she bears all of that within her as she carries Jesus, the Son of God. Before, they were simply surrounding her. The oppression was there. The Romans were there. People were hurting and hungry. They were there around her. But now, they dwelled within her. And her song comes from that deep place within her where she carries that pain and sadness, that grief. The kingdom of God grew inside of her.
And because Mary's story is more than just a profound yes, it becomes a song of defiance. Like in the tradition of old spirituals or protest songs of revolution, it's the we shall overcome, it's the where have all the flowers gone? Her song becomes this counter testimony that pa- to the distinction that passes, excuse me, to the dysfunction that passes as normal in our world today. Mary sings because her own pregnancy is a counter testimony. God didn't choose a queen. He didn't choose a wealthy noble woman. He chose an unmarried peasant girl. God assessed the demands of what the world and the expectations would place on that baby on 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 the son of God and on a king that would come to power. And God said, no, God said, no. Mary's song then reaffirms the divine no, no to the proud, no to the powerful, no to the hunger, no to the unfed, no to the suffering, no to the pain, no to the injustice, no. No, no. When God speaks and when he says no, you have to listen. Just like when he says yes. No's can be uh, uh, quick, funny. Like when I tell my dog no and he does it anyways. Keeps licking the food off the baby's hands. It's disgusting. I don't, but what are you going to do? Nose can also be sharp and poignant and impossible to ignore. So Mary Ann McKibben, she's a, a minister and a writer and a comedian, and, and she, she tells this story about a friend of hers. The friend was driving one day and got into an accident, as sometimes happens, and they pulled off to the side parking area, side street and they pulled off um, so that they could exchange, you know, insurance information and whatnot. But in this instance, Marianne says the, the, the whole situation took a remarkably tragic turn because the driver in the second car actually pulled her friend out of the car and started beating her. It's a horrible, tragic event. Just about that time, there was a woman on her way to work, smoking her last cigarette before her shift begins, windows down, watching the birds, feeling the breeze. She was driving past and with her windows down, she heard cries crying out down the street. And for a second she thought, maybe it's someone playing or maybe it's someone joking around or maybe, you know, I don't know. She kept driving. But she decided to turn around She turned around, and when she came up on the scene, you know, she was so surprised. Like, the only way to stop that, she decided to just ram her car into the other person's car to get him to stop. Now, Marianne's friend was okay, traumatized. You know, she recovered. She was okay, but, man, if that woman hadn't turned her car around... So Marianne's friend asked the driver of that, of that car, the woman that turned around and stopped, and she said, what made you stop? What made you 
What made you come to help? Now that driver, she was not a particularly spiritual person, not a particularly one who's interested in God or spiritual things or seeking or anything we would call religious, but she said, I heard an audible voice. I heard a no so sharp and emphatic that I couldn't keep driving. I couldn't keep going. I had to turn around. That audible no, that word is so sharp and laser focused that you have to listen. Remember that a magnifying glass doesn't just make things larger, but it also catches sunlight and it can focus it so sharp that it starts a fire. That's the power of prophetic witness. It's a Pentecost moment right here in the middle of Advent. And this too is our own call to Advent. Our culture's way of Christmas is noisy and it clatters against the quiet observance of the church. And so you have a radio station that plays jingle bells and happy tunes, deck the halls and all the other. And here we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Well, why do we ask this savior to come? Why do we bid that savior to come into our lives? because we still need a savior. The world still needs healing. The world still needs hope. The stories of hurt and violence, of oppression, remind us of this reality. But we can sing that defiant song with Mary, expectantly confident, in a God that shows strength and mercy. So we can sing to God's jubilant yes and also his defiant sharp no. And then in our song, we begin to magnify God. Let's bow our heads. Holy God, in this Advent season, where we think about the holy night where you were born, we know that you have been in work, at work in this world long before you came as a baby. You were the word before the world began and you are the present Emmanuel now. May our songs be lifted to magnify you, to bring focus to you. And in this Advent season be a hope and a light for those all around who are oppressed and who need to see you. And we ask this with open hearts and open arms. As you free the oppressed, may you free us as well. And we pray this believing in you, amen.